Welcome everyone, it's Russ Galzo, Chronicles of the End Times, so glad to be with you today as we continue our study in the book of Revelation. Today we're going to look at chapter 14, and as we go through the book of Revelation, just a reminder is that everything is not in chronological order. Some things are, some things aren't. Sometimes the Spirit of the Lord will take us back into history to highlight something so it will help us understand what's going on and what's being said. Sometimes it jumps into the future and then back a little bit. And so we have to really study the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, it sounds overwhelming, uh, but to get a real complete understanding so we don't go off the rails, you know. Uh, so let's continue to look at this and read a little bit of Revelation chapter 14. It says, Then I looked, and there before me was a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of the harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one can learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remain virgins. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So there's a few things that stick out right right away, right, in this reading. And uh, some stuff that might be shake us up a little bit or uh, make us wonder. Let's take a look at them. We know that the 144,000 are Jews to start with. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not anything else. They represent the redeemed of Israel, those that have suffered through the tribulation. Now, we also know that from our past studies in chapter 12, that God also took some of them, a third of them or so, went into the desert. And we we'll, can't get into all that right now. You look back on chapter 12, you can take a look at that. So this is not the absolute complete saved Israel. This is a portion of what God has chosen. And these are the ones who have testified and given their lives for Christ. Because we see this in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul is talking about a seal. Now he says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He's anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And so we see that this seal is the seal that is on all of us, and they have the seal. It's a seal of ownership. And it's a seal of the Holy Spirit and of the things that are to come. God's promises to us of what's going to come in the future for those who love him. Then he hears this rushing water and these harps playing before the throne and the four living creatures and the elders. And there's also some talk about and debate as whether uh, the Lamb is standing on Mount Zion physically in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, or is this a vision of heaven? And I think the scripture kind of speaks for itself. It's what I truly believe in, and it's a safe way to interpret. They sang before the throne and the four living creatures and the elders who are all in heaven. Not that significant, but I think it's just another example of how we should take the scripture and analyze it and let the scripture speak for itself, defining what it's saying. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 
who had been redeemed from the earth. Now, that's another clue, right? They still had to be redeemed. And the only way they could be redeemed is the same way you and I are redeemed. And that's through the cross of Jesus Christ. It says that they are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remain virgins. Now, this is a a weird sentence, right? So this kind of lays out, well, you know, these are just guys and women are kind of, well, you know, really down there. And this is not true. What's happening here is this is a spiritual application. When we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. It's a spiritual application. In Hebrews, it says that marriage should be honored by all. Marriage is a good thing. God's ordained it. There's nothing special about those that decide that they're not going to be married and not have uh, physical relations with a woman. But this is not what God is talking about here. The Holy Spirit is talking about defilement in any way. They've set themselves aside because they've been redeemed and they have lived the life and done the work of God. So God has blessed them. And it says they follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths, and they are blameless. Well, we know that that's only through the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Because the Bible specifically says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So we can't make ourselves righteous. We can't do anything to make ourselves holy enough uh, for God. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ and through his sacrifice We have to look at these words in harmony with the rest of the Bible. That's why I say Genesis to Revelation. It's very important. The Bible is in harmony. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, all 66 books. He's used different people to write it down and to give the vision to, but only has one author. And so it has a theme running through it. And that's God is a loving, kind, and merciful God, but he's a righteous God. And there's only one way to be righteous, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son. We also know that these 144,000 from Revelation chapter 7, they're one and the same. It talks about not harming the sea or the trees until we put the seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. That's in chapter 7 of Revelation. And he goes, then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. There's no real question about that. The 144,000 are Jews. They are from the tribes that are listed. You know, the Holy Spirit goes on to list the actual tribes. So we know for sure that they are Jews. So let's read on and see what else is going on here in chapter 14. It talks about three angels. He says, Then I saw an angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which has made all the nations drink of her maddening wine of adulteries. The third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, They too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. 
It will be tormented with burning sulfur in presence of the holy angels and the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise for ever and ever. There will be no rest day and night for those who worship the beast and its image, for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for the patient endurance on the part of people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. So we see in this piece of scripture that God is warning the earth, everyone on earth, once again, do not take the mark of the beast, because this is what's going to happen. Because the mark of the beast is a dedication and the faithfulness to Satan. That's what it is. There's no other way to put it. It's not an accidental mark. Oh, you know, I didn't realize it. I, I have this mark. What am I going to do? And it's not like that at all. It's a purposeful thing. They want it. They desire it. They want to follow the beast. They want to give their lives to the beast. So they get branded just like a horse or a cattle or sheep get branded with a mark that says, they belong to me. And that mark is an eternal mark of damnation. So God is warning them. Don't follow the beast. Don't take the mark. Even if you have to face death, it is far better than what's coming. So this is an incredible warning, clear as can be, to be faithful. So God is going to reward those who will stay faithful. And those who die in the Lord from here on out, say, well, they will rest from their labors and their deeds will go before them. Paul talks about that a little bit in 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says, The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. And in the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. So he says, in the same way, your good deeds will follow you. And sometimes your good deeds will go ahead of you into heaven. And we know that God rewards those who diligently seek him. He has no problem. He is rich beyond measure, and he wants to share that with all that follow him. So let's look at the next segment. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him, who was sitting on the throne, Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. So here is going to be two different harvests, and we see that there's quite a difference between the two of them. Is this person on the white cloud? It says that he's like the son of man with a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Some say this could be Jesus in the vision because of the description. It may or may not be because then it, the next sentence says, Then another angel came out of the temple and called to a loud voice to him that was sitting on the cloud. So there's kind of a weird thing going on here. It says, Then another angel. So I believe this is an, an angel, but it's really insignificant in a way. But uh, the other thing is that he commands this person sitting on the white cloud to take a sickle and reap. It would seem to me that it would, these would be angels. And he tells him to reap the harvest because the harvest of the earth is ripe. That is a harvest of those that are righteous. Now, like I said before, the Bible is not necessarily chronological order. So it bounces around telling us tidbits of this and tidbits of that. 
and not necessarily in order. Let's read on a little bit, and that'll clarify itself. It says, Another angel came out of the temple, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of grapes on the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into a great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and the blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as a horse's bridles. Let's look at a scripture that parallels that in Joel chapter 3, uh, 13 and 14. It says, Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes, for the winepress is full, and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. This gives us a little more clarity on what the Holy Spirit is talking about here. This refers to the battle of Armageddon. Joel is referring to that. So we see these are parallel scriptures in chapter 14, talking about the wine press and talking about the wrath of God being poured out. This is when God is going to call all these nations together in the valley of Megiddo, in the, in the plain of Megiddo, rather. And so we also see that the distance that is laid out, 180 miles. If you look on your map of Israel, it's quite fascinating. You could draw the line from Megiddo, the plains of Megiddo, around Jerusalem a little bit to the south, and that's 180 miles. And that is what most believe will be the ground in that whole area where that battle was going to be fought, where the kings of the east and the Antichrist armies all meet up with the Lord God Almighty at that point in time. So it's amazing to compare scriptures, and that's why I say it's important for us to know one end of the Bible from the other the best we can. Um, Nobody knows it through and through, that's for sure. I wish I did. And nobody has all the answers. But if we truly study and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and allow the Word of God to speak for itself. You know, lots of times we have ideas and and what we believe. And so when we read the Bible, we try to find things that underline and support the things that we believe. And we shouldn't read the Bible that way. We should read it and allow the Holy Spirit, who's the great professor, to teach us As we read the whole Bible, he begins to bring out things and say, see, see, this matches this. This is what I'm talking about here. He'll bring things to your memory as you read, and you won't be looking for facts that back your arguments. You'll be learning and growing in the way that God wants you to do. Be with us again next week as we look at chapter 15 of the book of Revelation. Just keep reading and studying and praying, and the Holy Spirit will delight to be with you and work with you and teach you all things, even the things that are to come, the Scripture says. So next week, we'll move into chapter 15, and we'll take a look at that and study that a little bit and discuss that. Don't forget to listen for my Monday through Friday broadcast, Living a Positive Life in a Negative World. That's only four or five minutes each day. But I hope it'll bless you and keep you focused and maybe even change your point of reference. And as the scripture says in Romans, be transformed. No longer conform to this world, but be transformed. 
This is Russ Kalsa for Chronicles of the End Times. God bless. Keep looking up. The King is coming. <laughs>